Today I'll be reading Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Thanks, Trey. We are in a series called My God, and there's a lot of misconceptions about God out there. In fact, and they come from many times when we try and get God to conform to who we want Him to be. We try to make our own God. And so the thought is, oftentimes, when people tell you, I don't believe in God, if you were to ask them, well, tell me about this God you don't believe in, because there's a good chance I don't believe in Him as well. There are a lot of misconceptions about God. We want God so many times to be things that we want Him to be, like a janitor God who follows us around and, and cleans up our messes behind us, our Siri God just waiting to answer every need that we have. But God is not a God that we can figure out. We talked about the Rubik's Cube God, that we can put Him in a box, we can figure out the puzzle of God and know who He is. God is bigger than our imaginations. And we need to be very careful not to try and build God to be who we want Him to be. And today we're going to look at this misconception of God as a bodyguard God. I don't know about you, but many of you, like me, were probably a lifeguard at some point in your life. It was a wonderful job as in high school for me. You know, I envisioned my job as a lifeguard basically if somebody got in over their head to jump in and help them. If they, if they couldn't help themselves, I was supposed to jump in and keep them, uh, get them out of trouble when they'd done something foolish. And sometimes we have this idea that God is a bodyguard guide, and that is not just somebody that's going to help me when I'm in over my head, but one that will make sure I never get into trouble. One that will walk with me through life and make sure that nothing bad ever happens to me. They'll take the bullet for me. Things that might come my way that might cause me harm, he'll take that instead. And he'll never let it, bad things happen to good people. He's always on my side to protect me from pain and, and injustice and from any kind of suffering. And that is a misconception. But that is not who God is. That's not how God works but if that's the God you believe in, then when a bad thing happens in your life, we give up on God because He didn't do His part. We think God's failed us, and so therefore God cannot exist. So when life seems to be falling apart, so does our belief in this bodyguard kind of God. It probably doesn't take much effort on your part to think about the lowest times in your life. Can you remember how you felt? Can you find words to describe it? You know, words like despair or downhearted or deflated or discouraged. It's just times when you crater out and you just feel hollow on the inside. You're just downcast and heart sick. I have a feeling that each of us here have had those feelings of being extremely discouraged and depressed and dejected. And so we can relate to each other. And there's a great danger, though, if we think that God is a God that walks through life making sure those feelings never impact us. I can relate to those feelings, and so can you, and so could King David. 
as could all the characters in the Bible. David felt down at times. He felt forgotten. It's that age-old syndrome that nobody seems to care, and it is a miserable feeling. Well, if you believe in a bodyguard God, then when trials come your way, we just give up on God. So today we want to look at a, a passage of Scripture that helps us survive those days. If we have this misconception, what can we do that helps us through that misconception so we can really come to know God like He really is? And we're going to go to Psalm 13. It's a psalm of lament. It's a time when uh, you just simply cry out to God. You lament how you feel. I don't understand God, and we bring that to Him. And in Psalm 13, David has a psalm of lament. The first two verses. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I mean, David has, is obviously struggling. Why is David feeling this way? Have you ever felt this way? Why is David feeling that way? Well, nobody can say for sure. We don't know. However, some of David's darkest days were after he was anointed king and before he was placed on the throne. And during that time, God was preparing him for an immense task of being the king of Israel. And so he was shaping him, and he was helping develop him into a man of maturity and inner strength. So while we don't know for sure, perhaps 1 Samuel is the, uh, a good description of the events taking place in his life. Let's look at 1 Samuel 18, just to remind ourselves of what was going on during this time in David's life. Beginning in verse 9. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house. While David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. You know, if you have this idea that God is a bodyguard God, nothing can happen to us. And bad things like this couldn't be happening. But Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but because the, because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. This was a tough, tough time. Saul is trying to get even and get back at David. And when he finds out his kids uh, like David, he even gets more upset. Verses 28 and 29, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and remained his enemy for the rest of his days. Not only his daughter, but Jonathan also liked him. First, uh, 1 Samuel 20, verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to, de why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. I mean, Saul is intent on killing David. And it's during this time that David finds himself as an outcast. I mean, he's defeated Goliath. He is a youthful hero, hero of, of the children of Israel. He, is, he has defeated the Philistines. 
And in the midst of all that popularity, Saul is trying to murder him, and he finds himself outcast. In fact, he is living in the wilderness, sleeping in caves, hiding behind boulders, and hungry. And this goes on for a dozen years. He's hunted by a madman. Can you imagine how David feels as he's hiding out? God, where are you? Why is this happening? Will this never end? And with that as a backdrop, doesn't it bring some sense to Psalm 13? Where David comes to God in a psalm of lament to cry out to God. I mean, you can, you can tell David is flat on his face in misery, and he complains about the depth and the length of his trials. So back to Psalm 13. How long, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? So in the midst of this despair, he, he laments these thoughts. And it reminds, he reminds us that we too often in these same places have similar thoughts. He says, God, have you forgotten me forever? By the way, out of curiosity, have any of you ever been forgotten? Your parents ran off when you were a child and left you somewhere, forgot you? Anybody forgotten here at church building, at the church building, you know? My parents forgot me at the building more, more than once, I'm afraid. But fortunately, we lived right next door, so it wasn't too hard. But you know the feeling of when, when you're forgotten. But more than just when your parents leave you at a church building, when your friends are not there for you, and it seems like they've forgotten what you're going through. They've forgotten a birthday. They've forgotten the trials. And you feel abandoned. And David obviously feels that abandonment now. And he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Why does he feel so abandoned? Because of all the crush of the burdens that are on his shoulders. They've literally driven him to his, his face, and he, he's wondering, where is God? And he goes on and says, how long will you hide your face from me? In other words, it's just a self-pity party. God, you don't even care. You're not, you're not even looking. There's a lot of times that we feel sorry for ourselves, and when we feel sorry for ourselves, it, it seems like nobody else notices our pain. And nobody else is there with us, no one to help. And so he says, you're hiding your face from me. In other words, you're walking by and not even noticing. You don't even see that I'm here. There's times when we feel like our friends and others avoid us. But when we think that is a God who is supposed to protect us from all pain and all suffering, that is a terrible thing. And so pity accompanies this feeling of being abandoned and thinking God has simply lost interest in, in us. And it's like David is saying, God, you said to, to cast your bur our burdens on you and that you would bear our burdens and lift our load. But God, that is not the case. Have a familiar ring to you? You ever felt that way? So David says, how long will I have to wrestle with my thoughts? And that thought of wrestling with my thoughts in the original language means literally how long am I going to have to plan? I'm going to have to figure this all out on my own. I mean, you're not doing anything for me, so I've got to figure out a way out of it. After all, God gave me my mind, and he wants me to use it. So we have that thought of God helps those who help themselves. By the way, that's not Scripture. That's Benjamin Franklin. But, so we think, I've got to do this. I'm going to figure this out on my own. That's not Scripture, but here is some Scripture. Listen to the words of the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. What a beautiful truth. So much so that we have a part of this passage on, on our signs out front. And if you, that's not enough, go look at Proverbs chapter 16, verses 3, 7, and 33. And you'll hear the same message over and over again. 
And yet here David is saying, how long do I have to wrestle with my thoughts to figure out my ways? You know what happens when you try and figure it out all on your own? I can do this myself. What happens is day after day we have sorrow in our hearts. I mean, it just brings frustration. It's the byproduct of a do-it-yourself attitude. You know, there, we try and take everything into our own hands. We're gonna, we haven't been able to find a job, so we're gonna, what am I gonna do? I, I'm, don't, I'm having trouble in a relationship, or I'm lonely. And we try and take it all in our hands instead of giving it to God. Will we never learn to leave our burdens with the Lord and let Him work out the details? But if we have this conception that God is a bodyguard God, then we'll never turn to Him. You see, God doesn't just guard us from our problems. He does more than that. He journeys with us through those problems. But David basically is saying, I, I resent this trial. He says, how long will my enemy triumph over me? He's saying, it's, it's humiliating to be stepped on by other people. Others are taking advantage of me. My pride is wounded. It's a typical complaint for all of us when we let pride get in the way. You know, and instead of trusting in God... We do so many silly things to maintain our pride and our arguments. Just like two little children who are arguing together and, and all you hear them saying it is to, is not, is to, is not. They don't even know what they're arguing about. They're just, they're just too proud to give it up. And so many times we have that same kind of pride walking through life. Well, as you look at those two verses again, does, do two words stand out to you? They come up over and over. The words, how long? Four different times you find it in there. The length of that trial, how long? How long is this going to happen? Because David's trials, at least in, we were talking about in 1 Samuel 18, go on for year after year after year, and the length of test begins to weary David. You know, um, somebody once said, God not only designs the depth of our trials, but also the length of our trials. And many of you, like me, have gone through some trials that just seem to go on and on. And we recognize, God, teach me. I, I want to learn. You know, I've, I've prayed for a long time. God, help me to become the person that you would have me to be and to get ready to do the things that you'd have me to do. So sometimes the trials have to come. But after a while, we want to say, that's enough, God. I think I got this lesson down. You know, it can end here. You go through those times of trials, times of grief, times of looking for a job, times of wanting to have a, a child, just times of waiting. And in these two verses, David just saying, how long, God? It's going on and on. And you can just sense that David is so overwhelmed that he's literally fallen flat on his face. And he's calling out to God in this, this, with this psalm of lament. But he doesn't stay on his face. He starts that conversation with God, and then you can see it kind of grow in verses 3 and 4 when he says, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my, enemy will, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. You know, it's kind of it's interesting to compare these two verses with the first two verses. You see the shift in his language and in his thinking? It's almost like he's pushed, him, pushed himself up off of his face and is now on his knees. And is praying to God and calling out to God. And he, he says, look on me and answer 
in verses 1 and 2, the Lord is removed and he's unconcerned. God, you weren't there for me. You didn't protect me from this, so you must not exist. But here he's requesting him to look and to answer. And it's almost like the distance is gone in David's mind. And he says, give light to my eyes. And the Greek word there is uh, to cause to shine. In other words, cause my eyes to shine, to be radiant. Um, Remember the Lord turn your face toward me and, and let, let your face shine upon me? That's that, that radiance. You know, when we get so down and depressed by this, the light just goes out of our eyes. We lose the sparkle in our eyes. And it's hard for us to see because we're dull and we're flat. I mean, is it possible for, to, to know a person's attitude just by looking at them? I'd argue that you can by looking into their eyes. And you can see how, almost how they feel. You've seen that flat look in a person's eyes. You've also seen that sparkle. When I was a kid growing up at home, we, um, we learned to, to judge my dad and his, his moods. My dad's a big, tall man, six foot three. He's, he's really quite funny, but you know, there's times when people are going through trouble. And when you really wanted dad to say yes to something, you learned to go into the room and say, hey, dad. And he would turn and look at you, and you could look at his eyes. And you could tell, did he have that little twinkle in his eyes, little crow feet in the corner? If not, you just said, uh, good to see you, Dad. I'll talk to you later. And you come back at another time and say, hey, Dad, see the twinkle in the eye? And then you could ask, and there was a good chance he was going to say yes. You can tell a person's countenance by their eyes. And David is saying, my eyes are flat. I cannot see. I'm depressed. I'm down. Would you bring the shine back into my life? Can I radiate again? Would you help me to, to see things truly again he said I'm overcome my foes are going to rejoice they in me David has pushed himself up from his face onto his knees and is talking to God and there is so much power in this prayer when you tell God how you feel there's an old song that we sing that says oh what peace we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer God is a God who listens. We can tell him how we feel and what's going on in our lives. He cares about us. And then in verses 5 through 6, you see because of, of these actions and this conversation, you know, he, at first he's flat on his face in, in verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 and 4, it's almost like he went back and read the first two verses again and said, wait a second, that's a pity party, and I need to turn to God and listen to him. And then in verses 5 through 6, you see him almost back on his feet, ready to go again. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You know, there's times in life when we're just down. We have fallen, and we just don't have the energy within us to get back up on our own. One of my favorite times in life was to get to be a part of mission trips to a little remote mountain village in Aquiles, Mexico. And we went for many, many years. In those early years, my body was able to do a little bit more work. And then in those later years, I was a little bit smarter enough not to do that work. But for those of you who went and never thought I did anything, in those early years, I remember one year we were down around a little village and we were actually carrying some rocks up to help build this wall and this foundation. And so we were carrying some fairly large rocks up a pretty steep slope. And what we do is we just, two guys would put a rock on our back and then we would just stoop over and walk up this slope with this rock on our back. Well, I was, I was in the line, and we were carrying these rocks up, and I remember at one spot you had to take a step up on the pathway. 
And I put my leg up and took that step up, and, and I just didn't have the energy. I was worn out, and it drove me down to my knees. And there I am on, on my knees holding this rock on my back, and I, I mean, I, I just didn't have it. I just couldn't get up. I didn't want to drop the rock, though, and so I, I was stuck there until somebody came, and they lifted enough of the rock up so I could get back up on my feet, and I could go again. It's almost where David is. It's just like he's been walking this pathway on his own and, and he's driven down and he just can't get up without a little bit of help. And then with God's help, he's back on his feet again. And so that transition word as we start this, you know, that's how I was. But now I trust in your unfailing love. It's a contrast. It's an exclamation of praise. He's saying, for you have been good to me. You can see the changes. Had David's circumstances, circumstances changed? No, he's still hiding out. He's still hungry. He's still living in a cave and hiding behind boulders. The king is still after him. Nothing around the man had changed, but something within the man was completely different. 180 degrees from his original thought. Why? Because David had changed. God had been good to David. And so he says, I will sing the Lord's praise. For he has been good to me. You know, for some of you, when you walked in the church building this morning, you walked in carrying a pretty heavy load. I'm not for sure what your load might have been. I know what a few of, few of you are carrying. Grief or sorrow or anticipation of illness in a, with a loved one. That's how some of us just came today. And we walked in and we put the smile on our face and said hi and we sat down and Trey got up to lead us in, in song and yeah, the last thing on our mind was to sing songs but you saw the big smile on Trey's face and you heard the people around you singing songs of praise so you lift, opened your mouth and you just started singing and before long not only were you singing just because you ought to but because you're feeling God's presence in you and and the words and the energy started to come with, with that song. There is such value in singing songs. A song can cheer us. You, you probably remember moms with little children, do you sing to your kids when they're sad and sorrowful, when they're sad or troubled, when they need to go to sleep but they don't want to go to sleep, they don't want to do the things that are good for them. And to hear a mama sing her songs, I, I know... Um, my wife used to, actually, she spent so many t much time comforting our children and singing them little songs that she, she made up a song for each one of the kids. And I can, I can still hear her singing, Caleb is mommy's special little boy, a gift from God, a bundle of joy, brown eyes, blonde hair, happy smile, wonderful boy, thank you, God. For Caleb. What a comforting thought. And other kids can remember their songs and sing their songs. It just brings joy to you. And moms, as you're comforting that little child and singing that song, doesn't it bring, lift your heart as well? And so David, I think probably, quite literally, hiding behind a boulder, wrote a song and sang it and we've just studied it and so I'd remind us 
when we think God is supposed to protect us from every little heartache and pain and suffering, that when those heartaches come, that it's okay to lament. God wants to, us to cry out in our pain, and He welcomes our questions. And we say with a lament, God, this just doesn't make sense. Questioning God can in a very real way show that we are still engaged with God, that we have a relationship with us. God allows us to question and welcomes them. So God wants us to cry out to Him. And we need to learn as Christians, it is okay to lament. It is okay to call out to God. There are times that things happen that we just don't understand. But if we will call out to God, He wants to help us. It is okay. And questioning God means that we're still in conversation with Him. So let us learn to trust God even when going through those tough times. Because at the end of the day, God is trustworthy. Whether we understand it or not, whether we can figure it out, when we think it should have ended but it's still going on and on, we think we've learned a lesson, we just trust God. It's like when a child comes to a parent and they're asking their many, many questions. and You're trying to help this young child's mind understand the implications of this truth that you're trying to teach them. And they just can't get it. And so they ask you question and question. And finally, you just have to say, because. It, just Because. That dreaded word that every child hates, because. Sometimes we need to trust God because our little minds just can't get it. But trust God because He is bigger than what we can imagine. And so in times of weakness, remember God works. It's in times of weakness that God oftentimes uses as a platform from which to do some amazing things in our lives. Trials are designed to help us grow and God wants to train us and mold us and so these times of weakness provide God with that platform he is using life circumstances as his tools to get us ready to do the things that he would have us to do even though sometimes we don't understand God is working in our lives the apostle Paul certainly understood this truth he spoke of it in 2 Corinthians 12 verses 7 through 10 when he talks about that thorn in the flesh, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God is working in our lives. Don't expect Him to work as a bodyguard who makes sure that if I do what's right, nothing bad can ever happen in my life. That is not the case. God will not always guard our body. But there is good news. God will always guard your soul. He will always equip us and help us to survive and make it to heaven. The laments in Psalm always begin with problems, and yet they always end with trust and confidence. Not a confidence in a bodyguard God who keeps bad things from happening. Not a God who's going to take the bullet for us, but one who is going to help us walk through life. Oh, and by the way, he does take the bullet for us when it comes to our soul. 
For the sin in my life caused it where I could no longer be with him in heaven. And so the punishment that I deserved, God sent his son Jesus to take for me. And because of that, I can be forever in heaven someday. He guards our souls. And so we have to walk this journey. And along the journey, there will be tough times and difficult trials. One of my favorite passages is found in Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. And it just reminds us that we're going to have tough times. When you pass through the waters, in other words, there's going to be times when you feel like you're in over your head. I'm, going to, I'm drowning here, God. When you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, I mean, that's when you're walking through life and things are moving so fast, it's just going to sweep you off your feet and, and you don't know where you're going to end up. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, and there are times when we're just <laughs> burned up and burned out. When you walk through the fires, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He's a God that doesn't keep us where we don't have bad things. He is not a bodyguard God. But He is a Savior. And He walks through those moments with us. And He guards our souls. If you need to respond this morning, we invite you to come. As together we stand and sing.